Father in heaven, Lord, thank you this evening that we can come again and study your word. And we ask, Lord, that your presence would be with us as we study this evening and that we could understand your word and its importance to us. And we come in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as Seventh-day Adventists, we believe in the seventh day as being the Sabbath. And we think that's a rather big deal. And that's because the Bible thinks it's a big deal. The word Sabbath is mentioned 128 times in the Bible. And it's not just any day. Um, As you may remember from previous time we studied, when God's people were leaving Egypt, they went out, and it says in Exodus chapter 5, that they went out to, uh, well, that was neat. (laughs) They went out to Sabbath. They actually, um, the word for Sabbath was used as they left in Exodus chapter 5. You might want to remind yourself of that, as I do. And in Exodus as they were leaving, the stated reason they were leaving was so they could have a Sabbath worship service. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Exodus chapter 5, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, key, key phrase, Yahweh Elohim of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast, a shikag, to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert to sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with a pestilence or with the sword. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Why do you take your people from their work Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, Look, now the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest. Verse 5, Exodus 5 and verse 5. You make them rest. And that word for rest is same. It's related to Sabbath. It's basically you make them Sabbath from their labor. So he was upset because they wanted to have a Sabbath rest. Now, when you look in Exodus chapter 20, and the commandments are given, you know, God brings them out. He brings them out of Egypt to Sabbath, and he brings them out in Exodus chapter 15 with his right hand. And his right hand, it says in Deuteronomy, was the hand that he gave the law with. And his right hand was the hand that he also created with. And his right hand was also the hand that he redeemed with. Because it says in Deuteronomy, he brought them out with a powerful arm. And that right arm is the one that led them actually to the sanctuary and led them to Mount Sinai where the law was given. So this um, actual activity of God's people coming out so they might Sabbath... Um, was directly against the religion of Egypt. Because Egypt didn't do Sabbath. They did Sunday. And 
in the commandments it says, God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God. Remember they said the Lord God wants us to worship. And now he's saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. What does that mean, bondage? I brought you out of the house of bondage. Literally, it means you were slaves. For the life of me, I can't understand why people think the Bible is a pro-slavery document. I don't get it. I know there are, there are statements and whatnot, but the general tenor, I mean, God takes 1.5 million people out of slavery, and he spends chapters talking about it. So, and then after saying that, he says, look, I took you out of the house of bondage. And then he says, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, what were the gods they were, they were fleeing? They were the gods of Egypt. All those gods were basically sun gods. They all focused on the sun. I brought you out of Sunday. Don't have any other gods before me. Don't make any image or any likeness of anything that's in the heaven above or the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. In other words, don't make representations of created things to worship. Worship me as the creator is basically what he's building up to. You shall not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, there it is in the second commandment, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. So those who are worshiping other gods are literally doing what? Hating God, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my what? My commandments. So, um, the picture here is of a God who's leading them out to worship him on Sabbath, not to worship him on Sunday, and not to follow the gods of Egypt, nor the commandments concerning those gods. Verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So one of the ways you take the name in vain is this, with their lips they honor me, but they're really far from me because they teach as doctrines the commandments of men. So if you find a church that's telling you they honor God and they don't keep the commandments or think the commandments are are important, what, what kind of a church is that? It's a vain church. And it is teaching commandments that are opposite God's commandment. Does that make sense? And specifically, the Sabbath commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. I mean, how many think it's kind of clear? Seventh day. And then he goes through. You know, In it you shall not do any work. You nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. So in other words, not just for you, it's also for those that are your servants. And, you know, someone says, well, wait a minute, that's slavery, servants. No. <laughs> you know, people today are servants. People go to medical school and they actually are enslaved to medical debt till they pay it back. They sign something that says, I'm going to pay it back. They're like indentured servants. Some of them have to go 
They said, look, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to go serve in the mission field, but I have to serve for seven years to pay that back. So they had servants back then. We have servants today. That's different than American slavery. That's not what this is talking about. You know you're stranger than those within your gates. So not even the, not just the servants, but also what? Those that were not even believers were to be given a day of rest. And what day was it? Seventh day. And then it explains to make it clear which day it is. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested what day? The seventh day. You can't mess that math up because there was day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, and then day seven. There there have been no other weeks before that. So you know what day it is just by the pure logic of saying creation had seven days in it. Does that make sense? So, worship me on the Sabbath day. And then it says, Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And there's only, okay, so you have the seventh day spoken of in the Old Testament in the law itself. In the New Testament, I don't have time to go through them all, but Jesus came and as his custom was, went in to the synagogue on what day? It tells us in Luke chapter 4. On the Sabbath day. And what did he do on the Sabbath day? He studied. He read. What else did he do on the Sabbath day? He did seven Sabbath miracles. Seven Sabbath miracles. He underscored his divinity by healing on the Sabbath. He never asked his disciples to do that. You don't see any healings of the disciples in the New Testament on the Sabbath day. Because he's proving his divinity. His divinity as a redeemer and creator. How many think that's clear? Pretty clear, right? He calls it the Lord's Day in Mark 2, in Luke 12. It's the Lord's Day throughout the New Testament. And even John the Revelator says, I was in the Spirit on the what day? The Lord's Day. And even Daniel says, I was mourning and fasting in Daniel chapter 10 for three full weeks. And what's three full weeks? What makes a week full? It's the end of the week. It's the Sabbath day. And then he sees a vision of Jesus in Daniel chapter 10. If you look it up, he sees Jesus. It's the same vision that's seen in Revelation 1. So not only did Daniel understand the Sabbath, and and, and by the way, why was it that we can say for sure that Daniel understood the Sabbath? Because the reason they were taken captive, according to Ezekiel chapter 20, was because they were desecrating the Sabbath. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, because they were desecrating the Sabbath. Does that make sense? So they were desecrating the Sabbath. And so we know for sure that Daniel understood the Sabbath and he knew what day it was. And we also know that John the Revelator was seeing the same picture. I mean, it's the same picture seen in Revelation 1 that's seen in Daniel chapter 10. So I'm just building up to something here. And that is, the seventh day was a big deal for Daniel, for Ezekiel, for Jeremiah. It was a big deal for Jesus. It was a big deal for his disciples. And and, uh, when we've been studying this passage in Matthew chapter 24, we can see that Jesus saw that it was going to be a big deal even after that. Look at Matthew chapter 24. 
Therefore, verse 15, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Now we had a previous message where we went through that, and the abomination of desolation is mentioned four times in Daniel, and each time it's mentioned, you had Israel going into doing abominable things, but then ultimately the abomination that caused desolation was Sabbath desecration. And there's four examples of it, one in Daniel's day, one prophetically said would happen in Jesus' day, one that would happen during the papal time period, as talked about in Daniel 8, and then finally one at the very last remnant of time in Daniel 11. And we're not living in the abomination number one, two, or three. We're living in abomination number four, spoken of by Daniel the prophet. And then Jesus goes on after that and he says, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are on the housetop not go down and take anything out of that house. Let whom is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the what? On the Sabbath day. So he even sees that when Jerusalem falls and then ultimately there's a, also at the end of time there's going to be this Sabbath is still going to be kept. And he says, you know, it's a big deal. Now let's look at one more thing, and then I'm going to read you some quotes from somewhere else. Let's look at one more thing. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. I'm just giving a brief overview of the importance of the Sabbath day, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the seventh day Sabbath day. Because it was instituted to make sure no one got into idolatry and when they got into it to remind them never to get into it again, right? So look in Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. He's talking in the New Testament. He's talking just before the fall of Jerusalem. What was going to happen? Jerusalem was going to fall. Why was it going to fall? Because of the abomination of desolation, the desecration of the Sabbath, right? For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word in which, which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith of those who heard it, for we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said. So I swore in my wrath that I would not enter, that they would not enter, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. He has spoken a certain place of the seventh day. What day? Seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains that some must enter it. To those who it was worst preached did not enter because of disobedience. Today, he designates a certain day, saying in David, today after such a long time as it has been said, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. But if Joshua had given them rest, and afterward he would not have spoken of another day. There, verse 9, here it is. There remains therefore a what? 
a rest for the people of God. Now, that word for rest is sabbatismos. I actually liked it so much I named my son James Madison Sabbatismos Macintosh. James Madison is is the name of the president who put in place the constitutional protections that allow us to even keep the Sabbath today. And Sabbatismos to remind of that. Now, he knows that. He went down to open a bank account a couple years ago. He's 11 now, but when he was 9, he went to open a bank account. And they asked him, what does Sabbatismos mean? And he explained this all to them. That's why I named him that. So he would have to be like a walking Bible and history lesson. And he did that. And, you know, it says, you, they did not enter my rest. You know, you go back to chapter 3, and it talks about the rebellion of Israel, right? And they were rebelling, and then Israel later rebelled, like we saw in Ezekiel chapter 20, in our last message on the Sabbath. They rebelled specifically against the Sabbath. This was God's people in the Old Testament rebelled against it. And he says, look, there are going to be a group of people that don't do that. And that's why he says, there remains therefore a sabbatismos for the people of God. It is specific. It is the seventh day Sabbath. Okay. So, let me just now read you some things here. There's another power that's spoken of in scripture is called the beast power that specifically takes aim against the Sabbath day. Specifically. It doesn't say keep any day. It doesn't say Tuesday's okay. It doesn't say Wednesday. It, it doesn't go along with evangelicals that try and argue with you and say, well, each day is esteemed alike. Just to decide yourself, misusing Romans 14, which was not a, a doubtful doctrine. And it doesn't do that. Instead, it says this. This is the year 2000 in the Catechism. I still remember when I first read it. In respecting religious liberty and the common good of all, Christians should seek recognition of Sundays and the church's holy days as legal holidays. So in other words... Not just one day in seven. Don't just aid the planet by taking one day off a week. Sabbath. Saturday. Christians will naturally strive to ensure that civil legislation represents their duty to keep Sunday holy. John Paul II. That's a few years back. Talks about this. The fathers reaffirm the importance of a Sunday obligation for all the faithful. As a wellspring of, listen to this statement, authentic freedom. It is not authentic freedom because the authentic freedom came from escaping the bondage of Egypt, which was a Sunday worshiping entity. All the gods of Egypt were rooted in Sunday worship. And when God says, I take you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, It means away from the worship of the sun and all the creation. And here this power is saying it's a day of what? Authentic freedom. Do you realize that that is blasphemy to say that? That's blasphemy. (laughs) 
It is necessary to hold Sunday in special high regard in order to remain united with Christ. That is just a complete lie. <laughs> How many of you understand what I'm saying here? I was just shocked as I read these statements. Without the Lord's Day, we cannot live. That meeting with the Lord only occurs on a, a specific day of Sunday. And life does not flourish without Sunday. This is a specific replacement of the Sabbath with Sunday. I mean, <laughs> encourage, encourage America to exercise its leadership within the international community based on moral law, Sunday holiness. We can never hope for peace, justice, and freedom Without obedience to the law of God, context the same speech, Sunday holiness. And then it gets even more pointed. Pope Benefit, um, Benedict, 2008, he says this. The Roman Catholic Church makes its contribution in the ethical and moral sphere according to the dispositions of international law. It helps define that law. It makes an appeal to it. And we live in a time when little groups of independent people threaten the unity of the world. Little groups of independent people. That would be those who say, the Sabbath is on the seventh day. The only way to combat this is by establishing law and then ordering all of society according to this law. Thus promoting peace and goodwill throughout the earth. Okay, so I, did I lay the foundation already for why this is to be seen in stark contrast? God is saying specifically, I brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of bondage. Bondage was to all those idols. All of those idols, and all uh, they all were rooted in Sunday worship. You know, the Catholic Church is a lot like Belshazzar in Daniel 5. Look, you know, we, we like you, God. <laughs> we really do. We got all kinds of statues to prove it. We got all kinds of churches to prove it. We have all kinds of liturgy to prove it. But you know what? We're just going to change something. And we're going to make you the third ruler in our kingdom. We got, we got the Pope, and we got Mary, and then we have you. How many can understand what I'm saying here? And this is the exhibit of that. Not man's law, not God's law, but man's law. Now listen to this. <laughs> this is an incredible statement, again, by Benedict, Pope Benedict. People cannot be sanctified except on Sunday. What? That is directly opposite of Ezekiel 20 that says, let me give them the Sabbath that they may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. 
This is directly against the biblical text. Christ transferred Sabbath sacredness to Sunday. What? Where? No, it should say Antichrist transferred Sabbath sacredness to Sunday. Right? This is only for people that are naive and do not read the Bible. Only those who keep Sunday holy, listen to this, only those who keep Sunday holy belong to Christ. The word only. Only on Sunday does the risen Lord make himself present among his followers. That only these worship God properly. And that may Sunday regain all its importance. Did you notice the word only? The word only is applied to Sunday in this quote in exactly the opposite way that the Bible applies it. Saturday is no longer, (laughs) because this is pretty pointed as well, Saturday is no longer the worship day of God. Only on Sunday can we become part of the body of Christ in the world. Only by worshiping on Sunday can we avoid egoistic isolation. That's that's what people are going to call Sabbath keepers at the end. Egoistic isolation. And instead be united in a great community, a universal community becoming related to everyone in the world. Every Sunday is to be dedicated and given to God. Only on Sunday can we experience, listen to this, only on Sunday can we experience a personal encounter with Christ. (laughs) All right. So, (laughs) let me ask you a question. Can you see, I mean, these things have been stated going all the way back. I mean, of course, going back much further. But they have kind of crescendoed since the year 2000. And they're crescendoed in more and more pointed ways. And so I, I, just, I just am making the observation that the Bible specifically says that the Sabbath day is the day to honor God as your Redeemer, the one who delivers you from bondage, and as your Creator. And I just wonder how serious we take that. Because it is going to be viciously attacked and the foundation is already there for it. In Ezekiel 20, God's people were not even keeping the Sabbath. That's what led to them being taken to Babylon. And we're told in inspiration that many in our own ranks will receive the mark of the beast. They won't stand for Sunday sacredness. Or they won't stand for Sabbath sacredness. Well, um, On a more positive note, there will be those who do stand. 
Revelation 14, 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. And not only will they stand, they will joyfully stand. They're not going to be like people that are just morose, down-faced people. They're going to have joy. Um, they actually will laugh. They can laugh, too, even at the end of the time. And their joy is in the Lord. Did you know that? In fact, one of my favorite psalms is a psalm that was sung on the Day of Atonement. Psalm 126. And it says this. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, so they're coming back now to Israel, we were like those who dream, and our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with singing. (laughs) And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Do you like that? So their joy is not some kind of like comedy hour with the comics, but it's a holy joy that comes from being redeemed and understanding the God of redemption, who is the God of the Sabbath. Yes? But then they also have a prayer, verse 4. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as streams in the south. What are they saying? You know what? We have people that are in bondage still that don't understand you as the Redeemer. And we want them to be brought back as streams in the south. What does that mean? In the south, there were streams that came rapidly. All at once. It's a desert. If you've ever been there, it's a desert. You should go go with us to Israel. I'll show you this place. You go there, and in Israel, they have what are called wadis, like near Qumran, And near Masada, they have big cisterns because, you know, like once a year it rains. And when it rains, it really rains. It's like you might call it the ladder rain because when it comes down, all this water just comes from everywhere. And the desert blossoms as a rose just for a brief amount of time. And that's what it's saying here. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as streams in the south. This is exactly what's going to happen in the Adventist church. Many people will leave the church because they're not ready for the time. They don't really love the Sabbath. They don't really love Jesus. <laughs> they don't, they're just this lip service. In vain do they worship me. They honor me with their lips, right? Those will leave, but guess what? Thousands of others will come in as streams in the south. Now, if you've ever been there, there's this torrential downpour, and then all of a sudden that water begins to flow, and it fills up all the cisterns. And the church will be filled up again. And then it says this, look at this. Starts with laughter and ends with tears. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Those who continually go forth weeping Bearing seeds for sowing shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. So this day of atonement, people have a combination of laughter that God puts in their tongue. It's a holy joy that comes from we. You took us out of bondage. They're not pompous like you know we did it. 
No, no, no. We were totally delivered by you. We don't know how you did that. You delivered us. And it's almost like their emotion is one of, how many of you have ever escaped something you just don't know what to do, so you just laughed? You know, almost got hit by a car or something. You go, man. And your emotion is like, I don't know. But then that emotion is channeled into what? Prayer for those who are still in bondage. I hope the rest of the people make it out of that traffic jam. I hope the rest of the people, you know, come. And then also then turning to the other spectrum of emotion. Crying out to God. Praying. Tearfully. Crying for the abominations that are happening in Israel. Bring people out. You're not talking against all the bad ministers and everything like some people like to do. You're saying, oh God, save them. Save them. They're in a log jam of unbelief. Save them. How many of you understand what I'm saying? So, (laughs) and then ultimately, you know, they make it through this Mark of the Beast time period. All the world wonders after the beast. But God's people are pictured as having victory over the beast in Revelation chapter 15. Look at it. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, the seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. True and just are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, and all nations shall come and worship before you. That's the Sabbath illusion, Isaiah 66. All will come from new moon and Sabbath to Sabbath and worship before you. They sang the song of Moses, the same song that took them out to worship on the Sabbath. And then they said, great, uh, great and marvelous are your works. That's directly from Psalm 92, the Sabbath psalm. Three times in their joy, they're singing about the God of the Sabbath. How many want to be in that group? It's going to be a small choir. It's going to be like, you know, some midweek services where there's hardly anybody there. It's going to be like just a few people. But they're going to be singing and rejoicing. And they're going to be embodying the character of Christ. How many want to be in that group? Well, let's pray our little study today and, and uh, close. After looking at this rather startling stark contrast, Father in heaven, we see in the storms that approach Christendom today, the elements that long had been foretold by Daniel the prophet and John the revelator, and also by the pen of inspiration. And uh, thankfully at this time, people are more serious about looking at it because of the dynamics that present themselves at this time in Earth's history. Give us holy boldness to not only speak the truth, but live the truth. Give us a love not just for knowledge, but a love for you as our Redeemer and Creator. Write your law in our hearts and give us 
salvation rest. Give us Sabbath rest. Give us eternal rest. In Christ's name we pray. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.